Hello and welcome to Fountain City Sports Media. This is a program made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, and along with Reese and my good friend Kyle, well, Reese, my good friend too, both good friends, Reese and Kyle, we are brought to you with another friend of the podcast episode. Friend of the podcast number two, we have Skip Schwartz, innovator and wood seller lead at the Weldworks Brewing Company. Skip, you're probably the hardest person to get because like every time we tried to get you, you, you were like at the zoo, yeah. you were at golf tournaments. You, were, I mean, you're just probably like the most popular brewer in American brewing history. I mean, that's definitely not true, but I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> If Armando's good for one thing, it's being a great hype man. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, I'm pretty hyped. Speaking about hype, you know, why don't we just get right into it? So today we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Of course, this is a beer podcast and a sports podcast, and we are lucky enough to have Skip on here because Skip has experience in both and both in the competitive level. But let's talk about something serious, Skip. On a level from 9 to 10, 9 being cool and 10 being super cool, how cool did I look in my Lakers Christmas sweater at the Christmas party this past year, um, probably negative. Hell yeah! <laughs> I've never seen I've never seen anything less cool. Yeah, we like you already, Skip. So Skip is a pretty diehard. Uh, Skip's a pretty diehard Nuggets fan, and everybody hates that I love the Lakers. But just want to tell our fans out there, I am born in LA, and that's why I love the Lakers. Let's well, go! But we'll talk about the Lakers later. Yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> We're one game away. Woo! Oh, yeah, no, that's going to be, yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that today. I'm sure you have a lot of fun things to talk about. Congratulations to the Nuggets. Yeah. All right, so, Skip, let's let's get right into it, Skip. You were born in North Carolina, is that correct? No, I was actually born in Florida. That's one of the reasons why I'm so crazy. Florida man! Yeah, Florida man, yeah. I'm, I'm the, the original Florida man. Hell yeah. Yo, gee. <laughs> Do you have any, like, amazing Florida man feats you want to brag about? No, honestly, i rather not. Yeah. Deniability. It's good. <laughs> I, yeah, deniability. Yeah. If, I, if I if it's recorded, then I can't say I you know get out of it in court or something. Yeah. Anytime you see an article about Florida man and there's a picture of Florida man, he never looks happy that he told somebody about the Florida man thing that he did. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And also, ninety percent of the time, they look borderline like me, <laughs> or at least what I look like in five years. I mean, same. Yeah. De- right just uh, debatable. Debatable. Yeah. All right, so Skip, so so you lived in Florida, and then you moved to North Carolina right after yeah, when you were younger? I lived in New, uh, North Carolina for um, a long time. I'm not quite sure, honestly. I don't remember. Oh, the Tazy now. So, so did you <laughs> did you get into basketball in North Carolina then? Is that when you started playing yeah, basketball? That's that's one of the big times I started playing basketball was in, was in North Carolina. And, you know, I played for a lot of really good teams, and uh, we played, you know, they got pretty competitive at a pretty young age and played AAU and... You know, that was kind of one of the big competitive things was, uh, you know, you, you know, once you get going in the AAU circuit, it's kind of hard to get out of it. They start you at a pretty young age. So who were your uh, basketball idols growing up? Was it uh, Michael Jeffrey Jordan from Charlotte, North Carolina? Um, you know, he was definitely there. I mean, like I remember we played an AAU tournament where we got to play in his high school gym. And that was like a really cool thing. Um, but honestly, growing up, you know, I was I was a big um, Iverson fan when I was, you know, when he when he was coming out. Um, I always kind of like the shit talkers. That's always kind of been my thing. So, you know, like when the Bulls were big, I was always a Dennis Rodman guy. Oh, dude, Rodman, you know? hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like those are the kind of people that I kind of like always kind of were attracted to most, you know. And then, you know, you got like your Latrell Sprewells, you know, those kind of people who just literally are like the 
they're just fun to watch on and off the court. So that's kind of always been the, the kind of player I've been attracted to. And that's actually why Skip and I are friends, because he's the only person that can bring me down when I bring in my LeBron jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's others at the brewery, but Skip's probably the, probably the leader of that. All right, so, so you started AAU there in North Carolina. Correct. Now, did I hear a story that you saw Steph Curry play when he was in middle school or high so school? It was high school. So I, I'm trying to, I was trying to look up to see better information but i'm pretty sure he was either a freshman or sophomore in high school and i would have been in like eighth or seventh or eighth grade and it was going to be the high school that i was going to go to but then i moved to new york um but yeah so yeah he was he literally it was insane because he was like so much younger and he was he was small then you know like i mean he's still undersized for what he was but he was small then and he was just i'm pretty sure he had like 30 points just like scoring threes from everywhere it was insane you know, people were, the gym was packed, everyone, I mean, also you got to remember in Charlotte at the time, you know, Del Curry's his dad. So that's also a reason to go even beyond the fact that he was incredible at basketball, but you know, there was a chance his dad was going to be there or his mom would be there. Uh, you know, um, so that was, it was just crazy to watch a gym pack to watch, you know, a freshman in high school play basketball. So, so did you go as just a fan, or you were in like a tournament that was um, also no? A part so with it was going to be the high school that I would, I would, like I said, I, I moved um, from North Carolina to New York um, in between my eighth grade and freshman year um, of high school. Um, so uh, I, that would have been the high school I would have went to, but because of so I would just go to all the high school games, you know, watch any varsity game. So. S- so that you almost played on like Steph Curry's team? No, it would have been against. It would no, I know it would. It wasn't the same high school. He was playing the high school I would have went to. I'm sorry. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, cool. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, That's if I, cool, it, yeah, that would have been crazy to go to the same high school as Steph Curry, but no. So there is there is a there's like a tale where Steph Curry had to change his jump shot when he was younger, so then he can release like quicker and faster and higher so when when you saw him play did he have a different jump shot of what he has now or you know, was I, that what he had fixed i couldn't tell you i couldn't <laughs> tell you the answer to that i thought I'm gonna like go, eighth I'm gonna grade, go you were taking notes and you were like this guy's gonna be the greatest shooter in history well well i mean i didn't yeah if we had known that at the time i probably would have taken more notes um i i mean honestly he was just so small that's like the big thing i remember is like you know he was swimming in his jersey he looked like you know he didn't look like a kid who was going to come out and give you 30. And I mean, like, I mean, he, he, the only reason why he looks like that now is because he's done it enough. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's pretty cool. But what, yeah. what, what I'm hearing you saying is that even at the time, you guys saw his potential to be great. I mean, I, I didn't honestly, uh, when we were watching it, again, it was mostly because his dad was famous. Uh, but he, he, he was incredible, but it just didn't. It was hard to ever picture him being as good as he is. Fair enough. And, and you know, it become at a point in time in his career, he was arguably the best player in the NBA uh, for a point in time. Uh, maybe it was a short point of 10 games, but uh, arguably he could be put for a year when they, you know, they had the best record. He could be argued as one of the best, or he was the best player that year. Yeah. yeah. Right. Dang. But I definitely wouldn't have guessed that when I was watching him all those years right. ago. That's wild. Yeah. So so when so did you play you played AAU in North Carolina Correct. first and then you played mm-hmm. in, in New York. 
So yeah. tell us about AAU basketball. What 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 is more demanding, AAU basketball or or uh, trying to make beer for the biggest market in America? Man, honestly, <laughs> making beer is so easy. <laughs> yeah, tell us tell us about the like uh, about the, like horror stories of of AAU basketball. Uh, I mean, it just it puts you in a, a crazy place where you know you're high pressure situations early on in your life and. Um, you have like coaches and it's like, you know, you're not all necessarily, the players aren't all from the same area or, you know, it's just kind of weird playing with a group of people that you might see once or twice before the tournament. And then you have, you're spending, you know, a whole day playing basketball with a bunch of people and, and, you know, you, you feel a type of way to not let your teammates down. And it's super different from if you were playing with a team where, you know, you were, you know, every single day you're practicing with them. I mean, you have more allegiance to them. It's just weird, and there's tons of pressure on it. And then, like I said, a big thing with the pressure is it's just you're playing – you could play five, six, seven, eight games in a day, which is just wild, you know. That's crazy. Yeah, because like – And at a young age, it's hard on you. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say Kobe and, like, LeBron, they've all talked about how, like, AAU is not teaching – people the fundamentals and it's just you're literally playing all day and you're exhausting your body and i mean is 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 that also what you felt is that you 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 just weren't having enough practice time it was just like it was really just a spectacle it 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 was more just to win and you know that was it it was uh it wasn't like i was gonna get better i wouldn't say that a you know i learned more about playing at a competitive level from aau but i wouldn't say like fundamentally i got better or you were just able to play against, you know, you're playing against the biggest, strongest, fastest people. And then when you go back to your, let's say, middle school team or high school team, it's a little bit easier in the sense of you're not always playing against the biggest, fastest, strongest person in the in the world. Um, so you'd be able to play, you'd be better just off of playing against the best. Um, but I would say, you know, fundamental-wise, it didn't matter. So it kind of felt like you were going through the motions and getting reps for reps' sake? Reps for reps' sake, but it was like high-level reps. And so, it did, like I said, it does help. But it, And it's also crazy because, you know, at young ages, when you're playing against great teams, you have scouts already there. And, you know, you're getting scouted when you're 11 years old. I mean, of course, they weren't looking at me ever. But, you know, <laughs> there were people on the court that they would want to watch, you know. So, they, you know, they'd be there for all day watching 11 year olds play basketball which i can't imagine what that scouting looks like <laughs> right. yeah how do you know at that point like lebron james is going to be lebron james at 11? right yeah this, like, this guy is going to be amazing right yeah or like even even what you said like steph curry like even yeah. though he scored 30 you didn't know steph was going to be the greatest shooter well, like of all time right and like you look at him and you go like well if he grows maybe but at the time but you just never know you just never know this kid's got a great build. Yeah, he gets five words per voice crack right now. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking about stars, you, you had mentioned playing with like super athletic people. What are some of the famous people that uh, you had to go up against? Um, so like the, honestly, I probably played against like a lot of people who I don't honestly know what they went on to do. But I do. I can tell you, I did play in Charlotte. Um, we played in um, Florida one year when I was down in Charlotte, and we played against. Um, I said the No Limit All Stars, but I'm pretty sure they were they were the No Limit All Stars, but they also were the P P Miller Ballers, which was Master P's team. Um, and so <laughs> what? Yeah. So at one point in time, we played against um, Little Romeo, and uh, Demar Derozan was on the team. And I actually looked it up, and on that team as well was Brandon Jennings. Wow! So I, we played oh, against no all of way. them. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I looked. I was looking it up because I was like, I really wanted to see if like, because my memory was like these guys, and they had the camo, they had camouflage jerseys, and it just had the no limit tank on it, and that was it. And like <laughs> I just like, and they like rolled up in all these like fancy clothes, yeah. And I just like remember it like it was yesterday, and I really couldn't find. I was like googling it. And I was like, I need to find <laughs> these jerseys so I could show you guys afterwards. But I can't find it, and like I, I don't even know. Maybe it's all made up in my head, and it like I know that, that I did play against those guys, but I don't remember anything about. In my mind, this thing was like a real thing, and then I couldn't find it, so maybe it wasn't real. I just made it up in my head. But I definitely played, yeah. So Demar Derozan, uh, Little Romeo, and um, uh, Brandon Jennings, I played against all them wow. on, the, on the same team too. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So tell us about that game. Tell us about walking in to like literally just like a just like. You probably hadn't played, you know, someone like well, that before. You, you, you get your schedule beforehand, so we knew that there's a possibility of playing them. Um, and then, you know, when when you're on in a tournament with someone like that, in your free time, you're not really going to leave the gym. Maybe to get lunch or you know, grab a subway or something. But you know, you're not really leaving the gym. So we would just we would watch people, and I think I remember watching them more than I remember playing them. And honestly. Um, Probably in a game like that where, you know, we were good, but we weren't great. You know, I mean, we went, we ended up playing a lot of really good tournaments and going to a, 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 the Nationals. But, I mean, like, I don't think I even probably played that much against those guys. I bet you they were just – or maybe I played a ton because they were just destroying us. I, I honestly can't recall the game. But I do remember just the aura of those guys being in the gym. And, you know, everyone would watch. And, you know, when they would walk in, they'd have – you know, I mean, also their coach is Master P. So, like, let alone just <laughs> even if you know what I mean, let alone just that alone is a spectacle with him being in, in the gym. So, is he a good coach? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, people forget Master P did play in the NBA. Um, really? He did. He played. He played in the NBA, and I believe it was for. I want to say he played for Charlotte, but I do know for a fact he did play for the Raptors for a little Really? Bit. I had no, no idea. Way. So Matt, Master, yeah, Matt, Master P was actually really good at basketball. And so that's, you know, and, and I mean, Little Romeo went on and played, I think, at USC. So I mean, yeah, like, yeah Little know. Romeo played. And now, and now he's just Romeo, by the way, for our, for our fans oh. that might sue well, us. I, he's, he is Romeo now. He's yeah. not Lil Romeo. Sure. Sure. It's, all oh, right, yeah. Romeo. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> at the time, it was it was it was Lil Romeo. He was, he was Lil. He was Lil Romeo. So yeah, he, he wasn't big yet. <laughs> so was it at that same tournament then that that you played against uh, L- Lamar Odom's team as well, or is that a um, different tournament? So, so I played at a different tournament in New York much later on, and it was um, so we played. It was called the Gym Rats Challenge, and it's like one of the hardest tournaments to win because it's just like basically you have one day. And it's like basically you get to play a round robin of like two games, and then they seed you, and there's like 30 teams, and you just play until there's one team left. And so you play like I, I honestly think on a Sunday we played nine or ten or eleven games. We ended up winning Jeez. it, but but along really, yeah, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. Um, Wait, and it's like one of the it, your team beat uh, theirs, and then like Le, Le, LeBron's like, team was also in that one too. So you said? LeBron's team, LeBron, LeBron. So let me let me let me phrase these better. So Lamar Odom sponsored a team. So they were Team Odom. Lamar Odom was not – he was in the building, but he was not at that game because at the time we weren't the oldest age group. Um, and then LeBron James also had a sponsored team there, but his team was not in our – he didn't have a team in our age group. Um, but I'd be – you know, so if, if you're familiar with like the New York Gauchos, they're like a big – you know, those like, um, you know, Stephon Marbury's played for the Gauchos. Tons of New York City guys have played for the Gauchos. 
Um, we beat like three of their teams in a row, which is like damn nearly impossible to do. Um, you know, so it was just like it was a crazy tournament. And like I said, when we beat Lamar Odom's team, like again, it wasn't really like it was just a team that he had sponsored. And I wish that I could kind of go back and be able to look to see who were on these teams. Because for all I know, I played against all these other people that I just didn't even realize. <laughs> I was, you know what I mean? Because you know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're even, like, even in high Trey, school, like Trey you know, Young and like, <laughs> right. I mean, like I played against, yeah, I played against, um, Paul Harris and, um, what was, uh, his name? Johnny Flynn. Oh, no way. <laughs> um, when they were in high school, uh, before they went to Syracuse, we played them in AAU. And man, Johnny Flynn is one of the craziest people I've ever seen play basketball. Like Paul Harris was just a beast, but man, Johnny Flynn was insane. He was so much like even for him being like smaller for an NBA guard, like he was just so much bigger than everybody. He was able to push people off the ball. It was nuts. He was a crazy person to play against. Um, um, you know, and I think Johnny Flynn ended up getting drafted pretty high i think he was top 10 yeah johnny Flynn was like five to the timberwolves so the and i think like i mean i think after him was like i think curry was actually right after him wow i don't wow. i don't know if that's positive but i think that that's i think no i mean johnny, johnny flynn quick. had a lot of yeah i'll look it up but johnny flynn had a lot of hype coming into the draft i remember that oh yeah i mean and i, I mean, remember that's was taking him and it was like it, it like wasn't a shocker for timberwolves to take him it was like yeah right. of course we're gonna take johnny flynn there so yeah, he was number six to the Timberwolves, and then yeah, and then ahead of Steph Curry. Yeah, so Steph Curry was number yeah, it was right after him. I think at eight. <laughs> wow. Oops. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, I guess I guess I didn't realize how much of that draft class I've played or seen play before, way before. Damn. So Skip, we've we've uh, talked about all the people that you've played. Now, now, yeah. now, let's talk about Skip, aka Skip Bayless oh. Schwartz's basketball game. No, so, you so can't you're playing put, all these people. No, wait, Who are wait, you, wait, dude? Wait, a shooter? What are you Skip like? Bayless MJ? Away from me. That man's terrible. <laughs> keep, keep Skip Bayless's name away from me, please. Um. So I guess yeah, I I played shooting guard most of my career. A little bit of point guard here and there. Um. Honestly, you know, how did I play against good people? I would say I have no idea. Um. I think I've been just really lucky. Uh, I worked really hard when I was young, and it, it paid off a little bit here and there, but uh, I, I really don't know. I mean, I was just kind of, as a kid, I was always obsessed with playing basketball. I hated watching TV, and I would just, just play ball all the time and go out, and, you know, after school, I'd play. Um, when I was in high school, I actually used to work a deal, you know, like, F, you know, when I was in high school, they had all these rules about, like, going into gyms and stuff, you know, um, like you weren't allowed to be unsupervised in a gym and left alone in the gym and all for safety reasons and I'll sue the school. So I actually used to work out a deal with one of the janitors where I would help him clean a certain number of rooms and he'd open the gym for me. No kidding. So I used to do that late night and like, you know, I'd go like clean up, like let's clean up. He's like, if you clean up five if you sweep the floor in five rooms, then I'll open the gym for you for an hour. So I'd go and, you know, try to just sweep it sweep up, you know, ten rooms so I get two hours or something. So that used to be my little hustle was like, you know, do whatever I could. That's awesome. To, yeah. So like I said, I was just obsessed. I'd be in school, try to sneak into school early and just play ball as much as I could, just shoot all the time. So I, I just kind of got pretty good at shooting. And, you know, I you know, one of the big things for me when I was getting recruited in high school was, you know, uh, he might be able to score 30, but the guy he's going to guard is going to score 40 because I was just terrible at defense in high school. So, you know, that, that became, when I went to college, that became like a huge focus was just like, all right, I got to play better defense. So, you know, that's kind of where I started buckling down and learning, learning to play D a little bit. 
And then I also was lucky. My freshman year, we had an All-American on our team. And so I got to guard him every day at practice. And if you're guarding an All-American every day at practice, all day, every day, you're going to get a lot better at defense. Everyone compared to an All-American is everyone kind of isn't as good. So it made it a lot easier when you're just practicing guard. You get scored 50 points in practice every day. Yeah, that, you get pretty that's got to sting after a time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was definitely uh, – Definitely a, a steep learning curve, but man, it, it really does make you a lot better when you just practice is the hardest thing you're going to do. That's pretty dope. Pretty dope. All right, dude. So you so you went from there and then you went to SUNY Potsdam, right, for basketball? Correct. Yep. Um, yep. In college. Yeah. Tell, okay. So tell us about going from playing like LeBron James's team, Odom's team, and now you go to Potsdam, dude. Uh, I mean, it was it was uh basketball is a lot different in college than um, even at like the division three level. Cause I mean, that's division three. Um, it, it's just so different. I mean, you go from like, all right, I'm going to play as much basketball as I can personally, or I have practice at six to like, they run your life. You know, you have shoot around in the morning, you have weightlifting early in the morning, you have your running condition early in the morning. You got to go to classes in between classes. Oh, why don't you got, you got two hours between classes, come and shoot, you know, um, if you're a freshman, you have to go to study hall. So it's like, all right, you know, you finish up with your practice and they're like, all right, why don't you hit the weight room or hit the pool for an hour? Uh, and then you got to be in study hall. And like they basically, your first year of college, they control your entire life. And it's just like, it's definitely weird, especially for, you know, people who, you know, like me, I partied a lot in high school. I've always been kind of, you know, kind of on the crazy side when it comes to things I shouldn't be doing. And so, you know, it's the first time as an adult, you know, I guess I wasn't an adult, but as, as an adult, um, I was, I was on my own. So it was like, you know, I don't want to do this, man. I don't want to do all this. Shit. Like, give me some time to party. And, and then you, you get yourself into more trouble because you try to fit in times to party when you shouldn't be. Yep. You know, <laughs> that's how that goes. So, you know, that, uh, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't, I wasn't like a, uh, um, a swim, a singing example of college athlete. I was kind of probably on the opposite side of that. Um, by the end of my career in college, I ended up being one of the one of the, if not the most suspended player. Wow! In our school history for basketball, you'd get a bunch of texts per game. No, not even tech, not even texts. Just like I'd get in trouble for partying, <laughs> get caught drinking, oh. or, or like I, you know, like you couldn't. I don't know. Just like, just like dumb, shit, like. We had a party at our house. Dude, tell us, tell tell us the like craziest story that you're allowed to tell uh, on live. I mean, right, the cra- I mean, like, so we used to smoke a lot of weed before practice. That was crazy. But like, I'd say one of the craziest ones was like we were on like a road trip, and like we were like, all right, we're gonna smoke before this game, you know. And so like, you know, the way that we would do things, it was like you'd have you'd have like coach would give you give a speech 30 minutes before the game instead of like right before like this is the final speech and then you had 30 minutes to do what you needed to do to get ready for the game so me and a couple buddies you know i won't say who they were we go out and you know after the 30 minutes we go outside in the middle of the freezing cold in upstate new york at, on the road and we just smoke a bunch of joints outside in our like jerseys and <laughs> like you know with our warm-ups on like a little jacket thrown over and so we literally like, this is the freshest I've ever smoked weed and played college basketball in a game. Probably maybe one of the only times I smoked that much weed before it. Like, but, like, immediately before a game. And, man, I'll tell you what. That was one of the worst games I think the three of us have ever played. <laughs> um, I think I think I got benched within the first four or five minutes. <laughs> Damn. Like, it was bad. 
So you didn't have a Doc Ellis experience to a bunch of LSD and then throw like a no hitter? No, no, no. no I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna tell that story either. There's other, there's other stories that. So I used to get in trouble too. So like, we used to have the like, you know, we had alumni that would be like taking a fifth year of classes and stuff. And so, you know, if we were losing at home on a Saturday or Friday night, you know, you just swing your Gatorade bottle back and they'd fill it up with some booze. So that way, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're st- you know, so like you're in the middle of a game drinking alcohol, which again, probably shouldn't be telling these stories. No, I mean, whatever. that's, that's been a big revelation lately <laughs> where, where like more people are being more honest about that stuff. I've read about a ton of like professional and college teams about the drinking and stuff. And it, and, pe- and people want yeah. to like clutch their pearls and stuff. And yeah. It's like, you can't, you can't see some of these guys in the NBA and not know that they party. Right. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And I mean, like, again, you couldn't have seen me in high school or in college and looked at me and been like, yo, that dude does not party. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I just, I, I mean, even to this day, I don't smoke weed, but like 100% of people argue with me that I smoke weed. They're like, nah, you're lying. And it's like, why would I lie about Why would I lie to <laughs> yeah. you about what I do? Skip tells it like it is. I mean, how, okay, how do you go from playing AAU basketball, playing college ball, and now you go into beer? What was your like first exposure to craft beer? Uh, or, like, how did that even happen? All right, so, so, all right, so I mean, all right, so first exposure to like craft beer. Um, so in New York, they sell uh, growler fills like anywhere, like grocery stores, bars, anywhere, pretty much. Um, even at like um, the gas station. So the gas station right by my house in college um, had stone IPA growler fills for nine ninety nine. What? So we used to get those. Yeah, exactly. So we, you know, we were drinking those when I was in college, um, regularly and we'd show up to like a party and everyone's drinking, you know, Bush and Natty, blah, blah. And we would have these growlers and everyone was like, what the hell is that? And we like, and it, it gets you drunk. I mean, that, that still to this day will get you pretty good. Um, but man, it used to, we used to get drunk off that and, uh, yes. you know, a growler for a person and then you break into a second one, you're good. I'd say. <laughs> stone IPA as an undergrad? Dude, I didn't have stone till I was like after my master's. Yeah, Keystone maybe. Um, so, you know, <laughs> honestly, so the the question that, you know, so what I was told when you look for a job when you're leaving college is you got to look at what did you learn the most about while you were at college? And I was like, well, listen, I learned the most probably about basketball. I don't want to be a coach. I don't want to be a ref. I'm not like, you know, some of the guys that you play with, they'll, they'll try to chase a dream, go overseas. And I looked in my, I looked in the mirror. I was like, oh, you're never going to be, you couldn't take college seriously. You're never going to, you're never going to be a professional. Also, I didn't know if I wanted to be at the time. Um, I, honestly, I'm glad I didn't want to be because I think that's just a crazy dream to chase for most people. Even if you're, you know, I, I played a lot and was, was, was okay, pretty good, but. You know, like even that is just you're just chasing a dream, which is cool. I, I think people should chase a dream, but like some people have to be reasonable. Some of us have to be. And I, I knew that it was just not ever going to be in my cards. Um, and so the next thing I learned about, you know, and also I didn't want to be a ref and like chase that weird. That, that's kind of like a weird, like I kind of gave up, but still love basketball type thing. And, and, and like being a coach is like, that's kind of not the road I want to go down, you know. Um, so I kind of was able to, I, you know, most people aren't able to just hang up sports like that and i was kind of able to just go you know what i'm just gonna separate it and you know for a long time i honestly didn't even tell people i played college basketball you know i didn't even talk about it because it was something i was trying to you know I, I it's not gonna be part of my identity it's gonna be you know i'm gonna start the new thing and you know so so um so I, I was looking at it and like what did i learn the most about and honestly it was mostly about like uh, uh alcohol a lot of stuff about alcohol and so i, I was looking at it and so I actually um, sat down and I and I formed a plan of how I was going to 
get into um, a business. At the time, I wanted to make whiskey. That was the big thing for me. Is like I, I, not beer. Is like I'm gonna do whiskey. Um, yeah. So it was, it was. I really, I really wanted to do whiskey or or some sort of distilling, but but, but mostly also whiskey. Sa- sidebar skip. Yeah. Sorry. The uh, that 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 also matches up with kind of the timeline of the bubbles, sure. right? Where like whiskey came first. Before yeah, and it was beer. it was right around the time where exactly where whiskey was kind of hitting it hitting its stride, and it was kind of like this craft thing. You know, like the companies like Dry Fly were kind of coming out of like out of their little shells and like craft distilling was like becoming a huge thing. And it was mostly whiskey uh-huh. and it wasn't necessarily bourbons. It was just whiskey, you know. Um, so, yeah. It, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to get into that. It seems like a good idea. I'm going to get into whiskey. So what I did is I actually sat at the computer, um, the library computer, because I didn't own a computer at the time. And I, I just sat at the library computer and I found every single distillery. I made a spreadsheet. And I actually still have the spreadsheet, which is kind of cool. I found it a couple weeks ago. Um, and it was every single distillery, what they were made, who owned them, blah, 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 blah. Like, what, and, like, so I, and, like, and then I had like a checklist of like, all right, I'm going to email them, see if they want a resume, see if they're accepting jobs, and just explain to them. And so I ended up doing over like 160 over two months, just sending out cold emails. And just send out emails, send out emails, send out emails. And then I would get, you know, if you send out 160, you probably get 20 replies. And most of them are no's. But I think I got like four four actual serious inquiries. And one of them was um, Few Spirits in Chicago, which actually is a great uh, distillery. They make great stuff. Another one was called Skip Rock, and that was in Washington. And then the third was this distillery here in Greeley, Colorado called Syntax. And so, you know, I didn't go off of who had the best reputation or who it was literally who was going to give me the best opportunity to if I was going to stay here for one year to learn the most, do the most, have my hands on all sorts of aspects of that company. And that's where I was going to go. So I went with Syntax because they were like, well, we'll get you an internship distilling. We'll help you on the sales side. We'll get you in marketing. We'll get you a job at the bar versus, you know, like I think few was like you can come and clean floors twice a week. Yeah, you right. know, <laughs> and like so, like so, I I just took that saying like, all right, I don't know anything about this company. They don't seem like they're you know world renowned, well known, but I'll just do it because it's it's the biggest opportunity. And if it's it, where I'm in, I'm in Colorado. So if I do a year there or six months there, um, you know, then I could probably just go to Denver and find another job and keep just bouncing around Colorado for a little bit. Especially at the time, I mean. With the beer going on, Colorado was kind of, you know, one of the the meccas of, of craft beer. It still is. But, you know, at the time, it was even more so than it is now. So I figured there's no wrong way of going into there to Colorado. So I took an unpaid internship at Syntax. And when I first moved here, I was living in my car with my dog and, you know, just trying, you know, like barely making any money. Got an apartment after a month. Like, you know, I was trying to work all sorts of odd jobs here and there. Um, you know, trying, you know, I, I worked, there was a brewery here, uh, called Pitchers and it was like this shit brewery, man. And it sucked. Um, they sold more Bud Light than they sold of their own product. And that's like, you know, that's just like a brewery, right? Um, so I literally, I got a job there within my first week and, and like, man, it was just brutal. Um, and I remember like my second shift, I came in. And like they're like, all right, we're gonna have you serving tables today. And I was like, uh, like you hired me as like a bartender, like like you know, I was trying to get into product. And they're like, we're just gonna have you serve tables. You need to know the menu. And I was like, nah. And so like I just like handed my 
walked out the door. <laughs> and, you know, I had one of those moments where, like, the the, the boss was, the, the owner of the place, like, you'll never ne- ever work in another bar brewery in town i know everybody i'm gonna make i'm gonna blacklist you and i was like hey you know at the time i was scared i've only been in this town for a week i don't know shit about anything and so i was just like oh man am i never gonna get a job did i just like screw myself out of- well it turns out no one liked this guy no one even knew this guy existed it wasn't a problem getting another job <laughs> needless to say that place went out of uh, they went out of business they went out of business and uh that building no longer even exists it's a 7-eleven now so nice <laughs> Adam I think boy. I'm doing all right. Well, th- well, this is a perfect segue because, um, and and we can talk about uh, black black project if you want, but uh, you you end up you end up going to the best brewery in Greeley and one of the best breweries in Colorado, one of the best breweries in America, Weldworks Brewing. So tell us how, um, and you can skip some details if if you want, but but tell us how you go then from liquor into the barrel program and what 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 even is barrel age programs how did you learn about it and yeah just tell us tell us about it sure sure um so you know i i, I actually started as a salesperson for another brewery um and then i worked my way into you know i was cleaning kegs for them cleaning tanks i ended up working my way up to actually like uh running uh, helping running the lead brewer, running the brew house type thing, and you know working a ton at this uh, little brewery, um, and um, you know we kind of dabbled in in uh, barrel aged beer production there. Um, we did some sour beer stuff, barrel aged sour beers, and you know by the time I I had ended up leaving, um, I think we were at like almost 150 barrels of sour beer, oak barrels, and we're 53 gallon bourbon barrel oak barrels. Um, which is massive for a tiny little brewery. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 and when I left there, I realized like this is something I want to pursue. So then I took my next job at Black Project, which, um, Black Project is a uh, brewery down in Denver and it's, um, known for its, uh, spontaneous, uh, spontaneous and wild ales. What is, and, uh, what they, does they that do, mean, Skip? What does spontaneous and wild ales mean? Um, so, so, so spontaneous is when it's like a, a traditional Belgian lambic. Um, so since lambic is a protected term, we, they just use the word spontaneous. But what that is, is you'd brew a beer in a certain type of way. You would knock it out into something called a cool ship. So you'd, you put the hot beer into something called a cool ship, which is usually just a copper, almost like above ground swimming pool, uh, in which the beer rests overnight. And, um, the temperature change, usually you brew this in the winter when it's colder. So the temperature change helps cool the wort down. Um, and once the wort is, while it's being cooled, it's open to the night air and the, uh, wild yeast, cause there's yeast and bacteria all over the world, like you're breathing it in right now, um, actually lands in the wort and then, um, starts to, um, uh, ferment in the actual cool ship sometimes, sometimes then you put it into a barrel. So basically spontaneous is you're not pitching any yeast like a normal beer you would. So it's just, it's whatever you get is what you get. Um, type deal. Last summer, oh. uh, last summer, I was fortunate enough to go to Cantillon and see how oh, they make it. Yeah, it's awesome. Which was incredible. And what you just mentioned, like you get to go up in the attic of that oh, place yeah, yeah. and see the pan yeah. where it'll all kind of spill out and do just what yeah. you described. And then like sampling all the different, not, not only the different types of lambics, but like at different stages of fermentation was oh, super yeah. interesting. And like, it's it's so funny that that used to be like way way back at least from my understanding of it that used to be so much of beer was well, that, that's that yeah exactly that's just how they did it they didn't understand you know right yeah they didn't actually understand yeast until you know like way way later on they were making beer for you know Egyptians were making beer or what what could be called beer 
Uh, I mean, yeah. And, you know, I think it's uh, the Carl's, Carlsberg Brewery is actually the one who um, was able to actually figure out that yeast is what's doing it. And I, and I, I want to say it was like, honestly, like, like in the 1860s, like it was like way later on, maybe even yeah. later than that. Wow. You know, like that. Well, one of the big things they were telling us at Cantillon is like it's so situational when it comes to like spontaneous sure. fermentation and stuff where like they they could not move that brewery no. and produce the same kind of beer that people become used to just sure. because it's all well, and like the big the thing, same the, buildings for. And exactly. Know. The big thing is those rooftops, those they, the, the yeast actually lives in the wood and that building becomes the yeast ground where like it's like you know yeah and so like it, it's it is exactly like that so we used to do something every year where we would you know the first batch you just use it you dump the beer because it wasn't going to be good but you used it to actually start catching the yeast and waking up the wood and stuff and so at, at black project we had our cool ship in our barrel room so sometimes the inoculant which is the inoculant is the term used for the stuff that goes into the beer the yeast or bacteria so the inoculant would it might actually not actually come from outside it could just come from barrels fermenting or just what lives in that room already um it's actually like really a cool process and something that i i loved doing and it was a lot a lot of fun and there's just such a like a the learning curve is it's just you'll never learn how to do it because it basically comes down to blending so 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 that's why I, so i landed there and i was working with you know pretty much mostly barrel aged beer at black project and I just realized, you know, I loved barrels. And also, I was living at Greeley, driving to Denver, and that's just brutal. Um, yeah, for those of you uh, that are are Kansas City fans, it's like an hour. With traffic, it's like an hour and a half. It'd be about two hours each way because I work nine to five. So, and, and Black Project is on the south side of Denver, so I'd have to drive all the way through Denver. And there's no good way around Denver, so you have to just go through it and you sit in traffic. Um, but yeah, so, so I kind of realized that, you know, I wanted to work, work in the, in the, with wood and beer, probably, you know, I, if, as long as I stay in beer, it will probably be with, with barrel age and wood, wood and beer. I just, I find there, there's just so much like, I like the idea of like, you can't necessarily control what's going to happen and being able to take what happens and then turn it into something else or that's cool or, or good and blend it. And, you know, blending was a huge thing at Black Project, and we do tons of blending at, at, at Weldworks. And um, I think it's like a skill that's like, it's kind of hard to understand and master. And I think that's part of the the allure for me personally. Yeah, Skip. So let what, why don't we jump into that? I got two questions for you. How do you know what barrel is a good barrel, barrel or not? And then two... Um, Barrel aging seems kind of easy to like someone that doesn't know beer, right? It's I like mean, yeah. you just let the beer sure. sit and then it's yeah. it's there. So what? So so what are some horror stories that 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 you might have where you actually had to like dump it because just didn't it wasn't good? And also how do how how do you know if it's good or not? Like what? what how do you? I mean, you, you gotta tell? just taste beer. That's the only way you're gonna tell if something's good or not. You know, that's just it. You gotta taste it out of the barrel. You gotta taste it as much as possible throughout the process. Um, that's the only way you're gonna know. And the big thing with any sort of beer is, I mean, you, you gotta be able to dump stuff. Um, if it's bad, you have to dump it. I mean, uh, at Black Project, we had, we had made a beer that, like, you know, they had made a beer two years before I had started there. So we were tasting through it and it was just, it tasted like vinegar. And it was weird for them too, because it was a red, it was a red beer. Uh, and it just did taste good. It wasn't up to brand. It wasn't really what we, we didn't really know what to do with it. So we dumped 10 barrels and, 
So for you to get an idea, 10 oak barrels is is a lot of beer. But if you understand the the how small Black Project was, that was like maybe 5 to 10% of their production for a year. Um, so it was a lot, a lot of beer. And I, I have videos on my phone of us just dumping all these barrels at the same time and just flooding our barrel room. The whole entire floor was just covered with beer. Um so what? So, I, so so what happened there? Why why did it become vinegary? Um, uh, so vinegar. So that's a problem that you're always going to see with sour beer production. So there's a, a bacteria called Acetobacter, and that's the predecessor to um, to creating vinegar. So if you actually look at like any of your vinegars like, if, on your shelf, you'll probably see made with Acetobacter written somewhere on there. So basically, Acetobacter is just a bacteria that uses that scavenges for ox- scavenges for oxygen. And then it uh, turns oxygen into something called acetic acid. And acetic acid is the main ingredient or the main flavor of vinegar. So it's also found in a lot of wines. So if you let, like, like, let's say you open a bottle of wine and you forget to cork it for the night, or you forget that you corked it and it's been sitting around for a week, you'll have the same flavors show up. What would you say is more difficult, like making a making a barrel aged sour or going somewhere along the route of an ale or an imperial stout? Oh man, uh, purse. That's a tough one. I, I think I think honestly, there's less forgiveness in um, sour beer. Sour beer has so many. You have so much bacterias and things, and like it can go from being like this is a beautiful tasting beer, it needs to get moved to this sucks, or this got too sour, or like I said, the Acetobacter took over, and now we have acetic acid, and you have uh, uh, isovaleric acid, which is like stinky, sweaty socks, or you know, butyric acid, which is like the the stomach acid smell. So you could go, it could just go wrong so many ways versus a stout that's taken care of well and put into a barrel well and stored well. You shouldn't really have that many problems. You could have it like uh, acetaldehyde, which is green apple flavor, uh, which comes just from yeast. Or you could have, you know, some, uh, you could have like a soy sauce flavor, like umami flavor. Um, but those are just like, if you just do the, the correct steps beforehand, it's way easier. To, those are, those won't happen um, versus, you know. If you it, with sour beer, you could do everything right, and it still just does whatever it wants. Do you guys test the beers multiple times throughout the barrel aging process to make sure stuffs like staying on track and not going south? Um, so at Black Project, we didn't at at Weldworks. We do we pretty much don't taste barrels until usually a year in, or maybe a little bit longer. Uh, if we're getting ready to pull the beers and make a blend, we'll definitely taste them and just make sure there's no uh, sour. Sour notes or any off flavors, um, but yeah, not not as much as probably some people do. I, the other thing is, the more you move the barrel around, the more disturbance it has, and it can always cause other problems yeah. too. So there's there's so many questions I want to ask, but but for for the sake of time, why don't we move into your other job title, innovator? So Skip, is it is it true that you uh, helped make a uh, a taco sour beer, and if you did. How, how, like what? Okay. Uh, so let me preface it with, um, you know, one year we did, um, for GABF, we did a, um, spaghetti gosa. So I don't know. I was, it was before my time. I don't know. Um, but, but spaghetti was in the mash. They used, um, you know, fire roasted tomatoes and then fresh basil. Oh, so, you know, that was, that was the idea. And that is just a big, Kind of not gimmick is the wrong word, but it's, it's something to get the attention of people at Great American Beer Festival. And so, you know, I, I joined in and Neil, Neil Fisher, the head brewer and co-founder was like, 
you know, we need to do something to top this. What should we do? And, you know, people are throwing around all sorts of ideas. And I was just like, you know, we should do a taco beer because it's similar in the sense that we could do, you know, we could use taco seasoning. We could use roasted tomatoes. We could add, you know, maybe not cilantro, but you could add in all sorts of those taco flavors. Shouldn't be too hard to capture, I don't think. It might not sound appetite, but it will get people's attention. And so the other caveat was with the spaghetti beer, they served a little slice of pizza. So you got a little pizza at GABF with the little thing. So this year they're like, all right, we'll do like like a mini taco or a taquito or something. And so to up it, I was like, all right, well, what if we do – what if we work with a, a, a company and get them to barrel age some hot sauce and then we age this beer in the hot sauce barrel? Um so I ended up, so I ended up going to, um, horse tooth hot sauce up in Fort Collins, Colorado. And I emailed them and this lady's like, listen, we received so many requests to do collabs or custom things. We don't do that, but this idea is so crazy. Let's do it. <laughs> so what we did is we sent them, um, two media noche barrels after, right after I'd emptied them for a media noche, which media noche is our imperial stout. Um, so I emptied those and then we got them up in her truck and got them up to Fort Collins. So her and I wrote a recipe for a taco, uh, like a taco hot sauce. So it's going to have, you know, a little bit like it's, you know, more like something, not like uh, super spicy, but a little bit of spice. And then we were going to play like with the mole style type thing with a little bit of chocolate to play off the barrel, uh, the notes that come from the barrel. Um, turned out really awesome. I think it was like a green sauce to a, like a base with like green chilies and, um, I can't really honestly remember what, what all was in it. It was like a year ago, and my brain doesn't work so well that long. Um, then we got the barrels back from them after it held the hot sauce, and we barrel-aged um, some of this taco gosa into the barrel, and then we served that at GABF. So at GABF, you get you get a barrel-aged, a hot sauce barrel-aged taco gosa with a taquito with the hot sauce that was made custom for this beer. So you could try it all in one one go. It was pretty cool. That sounds amazing. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so Skip, yeah. what like why is yeah. beer in innovation important for beer? Like what like why why not just make a pilsner? Why just make juicy bits and it's fine? Like why like what is going on with all this innovation? I, I think I, I don't know if everything we do would be called innovative. To be honest with you, I think sometimes it's just. The way the market is right now is they, you know, people want new stuff. They want to try something new. And if they like to try it from a brand that they already trust, you know, if Juicy Bits hadn't been as good as it was, I, or as good as it is still. But originally, like, I don't think people would trust Weldworks to make a taco beer. And if that taco beer, like, yeah, and like, all right, it's a taco beer. It was weird, but it also was, uh, it tasted like tacos and it hit the mark of what it was supposed to be. It might not be something you crush a whole, 12 pack of but you know it, it was it was drinkable and it was not technically flawed and it tasted like a taco so you know i think i think people like that from a, a brand that they trust and i think people just really like to try new things and they get excited about new things i think that's kind of the nature of almost like the millennial generation of uh, the, the new generations i mean we're in pokemon era you know like we got to catch them all so you know it's kind of like that with with craft beer i think i think people really want to try everything all the time so if you give them new things they get excited about it and it just keeps the train rolling you know can i, can I ask a question about what do you think the trends are right now because this is just me as a consumer i i feel like 
five, six years ago, everyone's been trying to get like Shandies and Rattlers out. And then like a few years sure, ago, sure. like hazy IPAs kind of took over. And nowadays sure. you're seeing like a lot of seltzers and carbonated waters and all that stuff. What do you, sure. can you tell like what's on the horizon for beer? Do you have a forecast for that at all? <laughs> it, it's hard to do. I, I've, I've been saying this for a while. I think the next one, so like uh, this is the way I view it, right? So we're looking at things in, in everything returns back to history, right? So if we look at it right now, so, you know, we had, we just had, uh, apple cider was like the last non-beer thing, right? It was like a big thing. Everything, this is going to take over. Well, it did because apple cider is similar to champagne. So champagne was very good, but then it kind of went away when rose came out, right? And so if you look at like after that, you know, you have this, this hard seltzer, right? Well, hard seltzer is basically just, um, a low calorie, low sugar version of, of Mike's hard lemonade or, uh, Smirnoff ice. So, or Zima. Um, so I think the next thing would be, if you look at that trend of what it was, I think the next one in line would probably be, uh, tea, hard teas. I think you're going to see a lot of iced tea situations following like the twisted tea type thing. But I think it's going to be maybe locale. Like, I think you'll see that happening. I mean, uh, even truly put out, you know, the, the lemonade, the, the hard truly lemonades. You know, or seltzer lemonades. So, like, I think you, you, you're going to ride around in that little market for a while outside of beer. Uh, but I, I th- to know what's going to be the next big thing, I I don't really know. But if if I were to bet money, I would say that you'll see a lot of these bigger, truly companies or start infusing things with with uh, green tea or black tea or just just sweet tea. I don't, you know, something stuff. Tea would be my guess. Wow. Okay, put that in the history books, Armando. On this day, I was, I was tea, about to say, about to say breaking <laughs> news. Skip, aka Skip Bayless Schwartz, predicts oh, that black tea is the next Why big beer. Why would you do that? <laughs> All right, let's 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 uh, move right along. So so this is this is a uh, this is a, K- a Kansas City centric podcast. So Skip, tell us your experience with Boulevard. Uh, I know you're pretty close friends with one of the brewers. And then number two, why is Tank Seven one of the best saisons out there? Um, so I'll start out with, um, you know, honestly, Boulevard has it as a deep spot in my heart personally, not because of Tank 7. Tank 7 is a great beer. Um, I disagree that it is the best Saison out there, but ah! we don't have to get into that. They, they I do love Tank 7. Parts. I, skip, <laughs> skip Bayless with the hot take. Yeah, no. It's taking all my power not to hang up right now. Our listener uh, count just went down to zero in the Kansas City area, unfortunately, but... <laughs> Yeah. That's all right. No, no, that's fine. They'll, they'll they'll understand that I'm not hating. I absolutely love Tank Seven. It's just yeah, like, right. I, it's, that's a that's a really. I think you had the hot take saying that it's the best saison in the world. Um, but like, but again, um, yeah. So for me personally, so um, Boulevard's uh, Love Child that series, I used to run around and try to get that everywhere I could. That that was one of the craziest beers to me. Um, you know, probably 10 years, seven, 10 years ago when they, you know, when I first had started trying that kind of beer and it was like the first sour beer that I was like, yo, this is insane. And I would, I would buy as many bottles as I could and just like stockpile it or even like rye on rye on rye. I remember drinking those and like, just like they're big barrel age and crazy sour stuff. And like, I'm drinking right now the, your popsicle melted. And like, it's just another example that they continue to keep doing it. Um, and like, so they were just big for me personally. Um, cause you know, I, I kind of wanted to originally venture down this sour beer road. And so Love Child was one of the first ones outside of like Crooked Stave here in Colorado that I could actively get a lot of and drink it and just learn about it. 
Um, okay, so maybe Tank Seven's not the best in the world, but tell us why Tank Seven is like so hyped. Um, Tank's in a good way. It, it, I mean, it's just they they've figured out how to mass produce a great beer um, that is a saison. I mean, like it, it's kind of one of those beers that just kind of. It was one of the first of its kind, I feel like. You know, there was a couple smaller ones, but to be doing it at such a large scale for a Saison has definitely been kind of strange. Um, and they were one of the first ones, I, I feel like, in America to really hit that scene and hit it hard. And then kind of, that was kind of going to be like the foot they were going to stand on. And to make that like their, you know, their go-to other than like, I think they had what's unfiltered wheat's their other go-to. But I assume... it. I think unfiltered wheat is pro- I mean, Saison is probably pretty close to just unfiltered wheat <laughs> with different yeasts. You know, I'm sure that they're not too far off. Um, why, why is it hard to mass produce a Saison? Um, I don't think it's hard to mass produce it. I think it's hard to sell it. I think that's the harder part. And I think that that's what they figured out how to do. And they, you know, do it really well. I mean, it, we, we can make a Saison at Weldworks and it might not sell as well as a hazy IPA or it'll take us a while to sell it. And that's, you know, drives us away from keeping those styles to limited amounts and doing limited runs of those um, versus their, you know, that's probably, I would, I would, I would venture a guess that's at least 60 to 75% of their production is probably tank seven. I don't know that. Like I gotta ask, it's like for the sake of how much thing marketing works. I mean, the, the joke we always tell on the tours is the original name for tank seven was going to be poet of the plains. Oh, Do you man. think a Saison sells and takes off if it's called Poet of the Plains versus no. something like Tank 7? No, I think I definitely think Tank 7 sounds way better than Poet of the Plains. Yeah. I yeah. I, I definitely would probably not buy <laughs> Poet of the Plains, to be honest. Nothing against poets, well, it's just... Well, well, because you want a name to be ubiquitous, right? right? Yeah. Like, it, it has to just be, like, that is what it... Like, you almost forget that Tank 7 is a Saison because it's just Tank it's 7. It's Tank 7. It, it, exactly. It, it, it just becomes its, its yeah. own thing. I'll just have a Tank 7, not like a Tank 7 Saison, please. Yeah, right. I'll have the Saison by Boulevard. Nobody ever said that. Right, <laughs> like, exactly. Oh, it's just oh, tank, oh, seven. tank 7. And, like, most people, honestly, probably... Don't even know that Tank Seven is a saison. They might just order it because it's 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 Boulevard. They see it everywhere, so they're like oh, I'll just take a Tank Seven, and then they just continue to drink it, almost like Fat Tire. You know, it's just it's 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 yeah. That's a right. great example. Right. Mm-hmm. I was just going to talk about Fat Tire. I mean, I was drinking that at like nineteen, no clue about anything about craft beer. I mean, Fat Tire had to be one of the first craft beers I ever had, and it was just known as a Fat Tire. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, I agree. That's all it is. All right, so now we're going to end the podcast out with uh, Skip's most knowledgeable subject, the Denver Nuggets. Skip, tell us about Game 7, Denver Nuggets and Clips. First of all, how excited are you for the game? And two... And two, how did did the the, uh, Denver Nuggets make it to a Game 7? Well, if you look, Denver Nuggets' last four playoff series have all gone to a Game 7. Yep, that's right. Last year they did uh, Spurs in seven in round one, and then they took Portland to seven in round two. And now they just, they, that's just their MO. So I assume uh, if they do make it through this game tomorrow, um, they will take the Lakers to seven. Whoa! Uh, that's just how they do it. Um, but honestly. Law of nature, yeah. man. It checks out. Do we uh, want to do a, uh, uh, but, a, a bet right yeah. now if, uh, yeah. if uh, it's a Nuggets Lakers series? Yeah, I'm done. Skip. Question. Yes. How many points will Monte Morris have tomorrow, and why is it more than 20? You don't have to answer that. Why is it more than 20? Monte Morris will not have more than 20, but he will have 12. 
Off, he's 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 gonna have a decent game. He's gonna have a decent game tomorrow. Sure, you want to have seven? Seven, <laughs> maybe. Skip. Who does J- Jamal Murray remind you of? Um, like play. Oh, player wise. Oh, he's this generation's Allen Iverson. Whoa! I feel like that's getting thrown out a lot for a lot of players. Really? Yeah. I like that. I think some. Well, somebody needs to be this generation's Allen Iverson, and why not? Jamal Murray has been putting on a, a, a clinic in an Allen Iverson fashion, if you ask me. Um, Dame Lillard is great, and you can put out a lot of people, but like, someone's got to be this generation. The big thing that the, the difference is that no one's going to be able to do is be Allen Iverson off the court. Allen Iverson was able to change the absolute culture of basketball, the world. I mean, you know, Allen Iverson's one of the few people who had, you know, white kids drinking grape soda, um, because he did it before games, you know, like he literally changed, he changed culture. Um, Jordan changed culture one way and Allen Iverson changed it in a different way. So I don't think we'll, uh, we'll honestly see another player like that maybe ever in, in the world. But if game, game wise, I think, I think Jamal Murray has a similar game to Iverson, um, uh, where he will pull out all of a sudden he's going to go up for a dunk on Kawhi Leonard, even though, you know, he did get blocked, but he still does that. And, you know, Iverson was kind of the same way where you're not expecting him to go up for a dunk, but in his first couple years, man, he would, he would dunk on people, man. And he, he was, he was slept on with how on, on his athletic abilities, I think, at first. And I think Murray's going to kind of come into his now. And I think from here on out, we might see a different Murray. And I, I, I would like to say it would be close to Iverson. Question for you, Skip. Sure. How do you feel about uh, Michael Porter trying to, like, elevate himself into, like, a big three? Is that is that too much drama for the team? Is that warranted? So, so my my opinion on that situation is keep it in the locker room. Yeah, I don't think you you have the right to feel that way. You have a right to think that way. You have a right to say that. I don't think the press is the right place for you to come out and say I need to be more involved. Yeah, uh, it makes you look selfish. It makes it makes you look kind of like you're going to go behind your team's back. I don't think I don't think that's good for a locker room. Um, I think he probably got reprimanded for it, and then they, we can all just move on. But I think you know I think he could be a really great person to to fit a role i think he's a great scorer i think you know he'll learn how to play some defense a little bit he needs some time but i think he'll be a great fit for that team um but i think the way he handled saying that was probably the wrong part but again he's young so i i'd say don't 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 i wouldn't read too much into it personally yeah sure if he continues to do that for the next year then yeah we might have an issue but okay so i got i got kind of a deep question for you here so me and some of the guys back at Boulevard make fun of Jokic mainly because we respect his game. But like when you look at him, he just looks like some dude that you'd find in sweats the Y playing basketball. Right. Going back to your time in AAU and saying how it's like yeah. not you know great for building fundamentals. Yeah. Do you think part of the, the mystique of Jokic and why his game is so unstoppable is just because his fundamentals are on lock? I think it's his fundamentals. I also I truly think part of it is because he looks the way he does. I mean, look at look at Dirk Davinsky. He was uh, he looked the way he did, so he was able to do things that I think. If you look like LeBron, you expect them to play like LeBron. If you look like you don't, you know, Tim Duncan's another perfect example. He looked like he had no idea what the hell he was doing on the basketball court. Yet he was great. You know, Manu Ginobili is the opposite. He looks like he should be playing basketball. You know, so I think I think there's just like this kind of thing that has happened. Larry Bird's another perfect example. I think you'll find people throughout history who just don't look like they should be there and then they're just fundamentally better so they're going to elevate it and also you kind of like have this weird per- like it's just a weird thing that I think happens in just everybody without trying to 
you're not you're gonna look at Jokic and be like, oh, it's not gonna be that hard. Yeah. Or no, right. he's not gonna do that to me. He's not, you know what I mean? And then he does it, and then you're like, oh well, you know. So I just think it's just human nature. Right. That's the funny thing about the Clippers in these big comebacks, or, or I should say, the Clippers in their lack of defending big comebacks right. from Denver in what? In games three and six now? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, where like they just won't close out on Jokic on the three, even though he kept right. burning them in both of those right. comebacks. Right. I mean, it's not like he rattled off five in a row, but I mean, he, he he contributes from beyond the arc, which is yeah. I definitely agree with that. All right, Kyle, ra- round it off with some uh, with some betting questions. Ah, right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I. <laughs> I really don't think that I like to gamble that much. I just like to gamble a lot more than either of these guys. He does. He's lying. He has a sure. problem. Sure. I know. Oh, if you have a problem, then we don't no, need to talk about I, it. I don't have a problem. Or we do need to talk about it, maybe. <laughs> no, I definitely don't have a problem. Although. Although is never a good sign. Yeah. Gambling is fun, man. Yeah. I enjoy fun. gambling as well. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you, what's the most satisfying bet that you've ever won? Um, so honestly, it was actually on, uh, Michael Porter Jr. during the restart. And, um, I, I took, I took a, like a, a light bet on like a, on his, on his, his over under points. And then I went in and I looked at it and I thought I put $5 on his over and it was 50. And so I was just like, you know, like, I don't like to bet $50 at a time. Like, I'm not, like, I, I'll gamble, but you know, $50 for, for Michael Porter Jr. and his second game, you know, in the restart. It's kind of a lot of money for like a kind of un- unknown player. And the line was at like 18 because it was like at halftime or something. He was already at like, I don't know. I think it was the game he ended up going off for like 30. So I was good. Nice. But I think that was one of the most satisfying ones just because it was an accident and then it paid off really well. And then I'm trying to think. I don't know. Gambling is always fun. I got a, I had a good bet on. I did an exacta on the second to last uh Kentucky Derby race and and I, I hit that so that was that, that's always that's, good. You know? Yeah, that's sweet. Whenever you win, it's always a good feeling. That's right. I have a bad habit of betting on like games that I'm playing myself. That that doesn't usually go well. Are you Pete Rose and yourself? Yeah. yeah, Pete Rose. Right. You're gonna get banned someday. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good thing I'm not a professional. Yeah. We'd like to thank Skip Schwartz for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media, and we'd like to thank you for joining us as well. This podcast is brought to you in part by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM. Find us on Instagram at Fountain City SM to get updates on the podcast, sports, and of course, the goings on in the beer industry. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friends Kyle and Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Fountain City Sports Media.